and welcome to Around the Outside, the podcast full of Formula One fanatic with me, Chris Moss and Jake Peach. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search Around the Outside podcast on Facebook and we're at ATO Podcast underscore on twitter and instagram as always in this episode we will look ahead to this weekend's grand prix in the hungarian capital we will take a look at the continuation of red bull and mercedes battle from the british grand prix as that took another turn this week and a roundup of all the other news from around the world of formula one and its sister formulas so jake starting off um well, where we left off uh, in in the last episode with uh, the the incident, yeah, the the incident that everyone everyone's been talking about. I mean, it's been the only thing that's really been going on, isn't it, between the two races? Uh, yes, at Silverstone, race stewards obviously were debating the incident between Lewis Hamilton and Verstappen uh, for the collision on lap one of the Sunday Grand Prix, where Lewis um, touched the rear wheel of Max Verstappen and. Um, well, to put him into a 51G crash uh, at Cops Corner. Um, but However, race, race stewards have dismissed Red Bull's appeal over Lewis Hamilton's 10-second penalty. They they lodged a right to uh, review, uh, and they, they, they believed that they had new evidence to present to better their case because they thought the penalty was too lenient of 10 seconds. However, the rules for such appeals require new evidence to be discovered, um, and they cannot be created after the event. And, and because... Uh, the evidence was created, the evidence wasn't considered um, as something new and something that wasn't discovered on the day of the Grand Prix. Something Red Bull failed to do because they basically, instead of finding evidence that already existed from the race day, they recreated the scenario um, with a private filming day or track day with uh, Alex Albon using the 2019 Red Bull to recreate, (laughs) I can't believe I'm reading this, to recreate the racing lines used in the race to prove Lewis Hamilton was more at fault than the stewards originally believed him to be. I mean, Red Bull went in hard on this and... And well, it hasn't worked for them. And I, I personally, I know we're not meant to be um, biased on this podcast. It might sound biased, but I feel like they've got egg on their face and it went a bit too far. And I know that, you know, it's very competitive this year and they're trying to claw as many points back and gain an advantage wherever they can and use all the means of the rules. And that's always been the way in Formula One. But was this a step too far, Chris? This seemed ex- extremely excessive, especially with Alex Albon trying to get him to recreate the scenario. I mean, all, all, all the things that have happened in the past, um, you know, when, you know, t- t- I think it's till the day of recording, we had the uh, a sore loser moment between Ricardo and Verstappen in Hungary. And um, Red, Red Bull did nothing about the two drivers colliding there. You know, we've had it numerous times where drivers have collided and they've never done this. But with um, obviously championship on the line, you know, it was a big impact for Max. I, I think it's again very much a balancing act. A lot of people still don't believe Lewis Hamilton is fully at fault. Some people don't think Max is fully at fault. Some people think it's a racing incident, as which we said in the last episode, we both believe to be the case. Um, so I feel Red Bull tried to see if they can get anything else out of 
a, a bad race weekend for themselves. It didn't work. Um, obviously, some people are now just going to call them a bit salty um, because they, they've tried it and it didn't work. Other people were like, fair play, you've tried your best. Um, but, you know, like what, what, what Max said um, yesterday as well, just need to move on and you've got a Grand Prix to go and win. Depends what depends what side of the camp you always always sit on isn't it and uh, the the way you view it i guess as to how you view this incident and the the bias that might sway you in in your opinion but i think that kind of concerned me a little bit more as well was the fact that um there was some implications made about um red bull's sort of manner and approach to this review and some comments that were kind of passively put across sort of directed at uh, the Mercedes management about the way that they celebrated the race win after the after the Grand Prix we know fully now documented that um, Hamilton didn't know that Max was in hospital the team hadn't communicated that with him maybe they could have done a better job at doing that however you know it was their it was their home race and they'd they'd been um They'd been sort of craving that victory for a long time. They, it was a, a big important moment, I think, for Mercedes in the season because they knew that they were not losing ground, but they were starting to lose touch with Red Bull. Um, but also the fact that I believe that Red Bull would have celebrated the exact same way and um, we, we would be possibly seeing it the same way. Would, would, would Mercedes, If the shoe was on the other foot, would Mercedes have lodge this right to review and things uh, I'm I can't see it but um you know who knows that would have been a different story but it, those comments were a bit worrying that sort of rebel were being quite using the opportunity to be salty about the Mercedes management team when really it was just about the incident at hand and that's all it should have been does it worry you a little bit kind of the the manner of of how teams have been approaching each other and um showing respect to each other I mean, I think we've seen it throughout the years. You know, we saw it Renault and Ferrari back in the day, McLaren, Ferrari. Um, you know, t- teams when they're up against each other and they've got their drivers, you know, fighting for something big, that they're always going to try and see if they can get the upper hand somehow, whether that be team principals going at each other, whether that be, you know, engineers having a fight in the car park after the race. Um, not that I know that any of them have ever done that, but you know that that sort of principle. Um, it, t- tensions get hot, and you know this potentially could be a massive turning point in the season for both Red Bull and Mercedes. So, you know, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. Hopefully, it boils down. But uh, like we both have said. We, we don't think this is going to be the last point in the season where these two are going to have some controversy between them. Um, and in first practice, both both cars all, all very close to each other. Um, the top three, Bottas, Verstappen, Hamilton, all separated by um, a tenth and a half, pretty much. So it's all still very close. Do you expect a little um, a little explosive explosive incident to occur this weekend, or do you think sort of they'll they'll be a bit reserved given the events over the last week? I mean. I don't think they're going to be reserved. Lewis Hamilton can't afford to be reserved. He's still behind in the championship despite gaining mm. 25 points on Max on Sunday. But at the same point, they still need to make it to the end of the season. You know, they've both teams have racked up quite a lot of damages this season, which obviously with this whole budget cap, it isn't going to help them if they wanted to make any more upgrades. And not only upgrades for this season, but also development for next year as well. 
Um, so they both need to, you know, make it across the 70 laps um, on Sunday. But I, I think it's going to be a tight race. Last year, obviously, we saw Lewis and Max battling it out with Mercedes, outstrategizing the, the Red Bull team. Yeah, of course, strategy has been so critical this season because they've been both been very, very, very close. Um, so I'm sure that's going to be uh, a major, a major play at this this year's race uh, too, as well. And just coming back to the point you referenced, Chris, about you know how how it's very close this year with sort of the budget cap and and finances being sort of really stretched um, to 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 well the maximum and trying to keep the costs down because of the effect of the pandemic for all, all of the teams um we estimated well we didn't estimate but we 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 thought on the podcast last week that uh, it was 750,000 euros and only that but um since then it's now believed to be 1.8 million pounds worth of damage that Verstappen suffered which is 1% of the budget for the total season now same before we started this that 1% doesn't seem like a lot but you rightly said to me that if you put it into the grand scheme of things, 1% of the budget for the season can make a massive difference for a team. Yeah, I mean, you got to think, they spend millions of pounds on car, millions of pounds on engines. Obviously, they're paying Honda for the engines. Mm. Um, obviously, upgrades throughout the season, they, they don't come cheaply. So that's, you know, more more money going in. So if you then take out the equation of a season that you can't use 1.8 million pounds, and obviously you've got other you know damages throughout the season as well you know that mm. takes away you know potentially two big upgrades if not more yeah which could well of course make all the difference and uh, you know one incident can literally change everything so you can see why red bull were um you know going um as as far as they could but um possibly maybe a little bit too far on this occasion what do you think uh let us know um do you think red bull were too hasty um, on this occasion, uh, did they go uh, a little bit too far with with this incident? And um, should they have even gone as far as having a right to review and the way they went about the the evidence? Could they have presented evidence in a different way from what you saw from the race? Uh, let us know on socials uh, at ATO Podcast underscore on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook um, at uh, Around the Outside Podcast. Um, Right, some some mud news now. Um, in in the week, so we had Vettel and Hamilton arriving at the uh, Hungaroring uh, in Hungary this week, and um, both very outspoken about the sort of LGBT community there, Chris. Yeah, obviously, um, Hungary are currently in the middle of having a referendum, um, which very much goes against what you know a lot of countries are doing now. Um, where basically they're having anti-LGBTQ plus laws um, coming in. Um, Sebastian Vettel, four-time world champion, um, has been showing his support for the community by wearing rainbow laces on his shoes. Also, he's going to be sporting a rainbow-themed helmet for this weekend too. Um, both drivers, uh, including Lewis Hamilton, uh, have urged the Hungarian nationals to reject the current referendum currently being held um, because they believe that everybody should be free to you know, be who they want to be, which is completely utterly correct. Yeah, and some of those, um, I mean, we won't get into too much of the nitty-gritty detail, but some of those um, rules and laws that they want to impose involves under-18s um, can't be in a, a homosexual relationship or can't seem to be changing gender, um, that kind of thing, gender uh, realignment 
that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, as you say, it's it's not very progressive, and it kind of goes against everything that uh, the rest or a lot of the places in the rest of the world are doing um, at the moment. So um, it's good to see them. They've had the courage to actually speak out and be allies of the community um, and using their their power and their platform to actually say something because. 10 years ago um I, you know people wouldn't have been scared to say something but um you wouldn't have seen this happening um talking about this kind of thing and so outspokenly so uh, great to see support from from the sport i think with formula one as well as has changed in in a lot of respects and when it comes to um holding things to account as well and and using its power as a sport more um as well as the drivers too um moving on to some well, really um exciting news uh, well not exciting in the sense of michael schumacher and the fact we haven't you know we haven't seen him in public for for a long time um after that tragic accident but we're going to be getting a new documentary on netflix chris about his career yeah so um obviously not hearing much of uh, michael schumacher these days obviously the family being quite private and you know they have very much have the right to do so um given the circumstances but some uh some good news uh regarding that is that this morning uh, as friday when we're recording um the family released a statement um saying that they are releasing a film uh about the seven-time world champion um back it well it's going to be released in september on the 15th it's going to be streamed on netflix only and um, it's basically given a unique insight to his life, what, you know, how he grew up, what he did in Formula One. And I think they're going to be doing some interviews with the family as well and just sort of giving their views of what happened back in the day. And, you know, a bit like what, you know, we saw with Senna uh, and, and the film his family produced. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be a good sort of intel, you know, of how he changed Maranello from, you know, being quite poor in the 80s to then winning five drivers championships and six constructors in a row um you know it was 21 years between getting the double championships when Jody Schechter last did that in the 79 season yeah it was a big gap between them and I think um we I would say Chris we uh, amongst sort of uh, our generation a young generation we're sort of the last people of, of our age I guess that would know about Michael Schumacher um and in his legacy in the sport um but I, 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 I wouldn't say we were the last well not the last, the last generation because he did come back in 2010 maybe we'd be the he's last earlier generation dominant, yeah maybe maybe his better part of his career we, we would we would be the last ones to see that and you know revel in that but you know Michael Schumacher's name will always be resonated in formula one it you know he no matter what lewis hamilton achieves in the next you know two or three years that he's going to be in the sport michael schumacher set the milestones he set the records he's still got so many records you know and some of them probably won't ever be beaten either um so his name will forever be such a massive part of formula one you know a lot of people you know Sebastian Vettel, for instance, four-time world champion himself, got inspired by Michael Schumacher. We now have Mick Schumacher racing in Formula One. So anywhere you look, there, there will always be a small part of Michael Schumacher in the sport. Even though he hasn't competed for the past eight years, he he's still very much a huge part of 
the sport that we watch and what we love and you know it, that that will, I don't think ever disappear I remember watching um a a sort of short film about about Schumacher and of course Ross Braun who now is heading up Formula 1 uh, in generally uh, across the whole sport was talking about how Michael Schumacher would be you know racing full pelt and uh, just having a casual chat whilst he was in the lead of the race um and, and going through corners at like 5G just having a um you know like a one to one catch up with Ross Broad like during the race it just the 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 sort of level of ability like it, it just inc- it stands out incredibly and the stories you hear about his time uh, on the grid and and that one sort of made me chuckle quite a bit and um people always said that he trained he was sort of one of the first drivers to take sort of physical health and training really seriously and sort of the um ability to cope with all the G-forces and the training that he put in in the gym paid off and and that's why he could really push himself in the car but then and then in turn push the car to go faster and faster so he kind of revolutionized the way drivers approach things in that sense because before that um it, well formula 1 has this sort of a history of drivers where it was kind of a very much a, a gentleman's club wasn't it and uh you know it was very much a kind of i mean we think of drivers like james hunt who just you know took it very laid back had a few drinks afterwards had a smoke that kind of thing didn't really take the physical side too seriously and then sort of michael schumacher kind of changed all that really so he's left his legacy on the sport and of course being a seven-time world champion not very easy to do um and Hamilton hasn't beat it yet so you never know what could happen this year and in the next couple of years but yeah of course we'll have a massive legacy um to come and will always be considered as as one of the greats and that's for sure um so really look forward to seeing that uh, documentary and, and the film on on Netflix when when it comes out in September a, a little while longer to wait for that um the first F1 sprint race was witnessed by yourself Chris at the British Grand Prix we've now got the Second one officially confirmed for Monza at the Italian Grand Prix um, for the second of three trials this season. The third is most likely to be at Abu Dhabi towards the end of the season. What did you make of the the first one? And um, do you think Monza is a good track to have this second one, second trial that we're going for? I mean, I didn't actually see the sprint race itself, um, but the concept of it, I think, was a lot better than what I'd initially anticipated it to be. Um, I think there's a few sort of things I personally would would tweak um, to to make it a little bit more interesting, but I I could see definitely more potential than what I did before Silverstone. That's for sure. I think Monza would be a good track. Um, obviously, you're gonna have a lot of fans there. Ferrari, um, obviously, they'll be looking forward to it after you know the Grand Prix for Silverstone as well. You know that that pumped them up, but. Um, yeah, so it, Monza is quite a good track. You know, you you can get quite a bit of overtaking down the straights. Um, but it, again, it'll be quite a an interesting Grand Prix to watch. Um, to to see what happens. And Monza's a a flat out track. As I I know that sprint races are flat out, and you can have a sprint at any track. But if you're going to pick a track, Monza's probably the one to do it. Like flat out straights and. Um, really close racing, lots of DRS. Also has all the ingredients to be a, a, a great format for that particular circuit. And I guess the heritage that Monza has uh, on the calendar. With Silverstone, of course, is a very prestigious race, but for Monza to have it too, the home of Ferrari, who are the only team to have raced in every 
Formula One season since it began in 1950. Kind of all makes sense and adds up in that sense. Yeah, for sure. It, it's almost symbolising, you know, what this sport was all about. Obviously, Silverstone was the first ever Grand Prix um, in Formula One back in 1950. And, you know that sort of symbolised the fact that, you know, it's the first one. It was the first ever sprint race as well. And obviously Ferrari have been in every single season. So, you know, it's sort of rewarding the history of, of the sport, where, where, how they're doing it. So, you know, it's very interesting if they do do it, say, like Abu Dhabi, obviously one of the more recent circuits and traditionally the end of season race as well now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. And they're doing it at, you know, the places where, you know, the most people would like to see such different things no looking forward to see how that pans out and um the Tallinn grand prix always a good one hopefully now more exciting uh this year particularly with the sprint format right let's look ahead to this weekend for essentially the halfway point of the season around the hungary Okay, right, so uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix this weekend. Uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, has the most victories around this circuit with uh, eight, record eight victories at the Hungarian joint with uh, Michael Schumacher of 8-2 at the French Grand Prix for the most victories at one circuit. If he wins this Hungarian Grand Prix, he could leave with the championship lead, a record of nine victories, a single Grand Prix track and a hundred career wins after number 99 at Silverstone last time out. Um, lots of accolades possibly for Lewis Hamilton to take away from this, Chris. Um, just you you pronounced um, off the record there a moment ago uh, the the circuit in Hungarian. How, how is your Hungarian? Poor. I mean, what, what, is, the, what, is, the, what is the track name in, in Hungarian? You, I mean, you gave it a good go. So, it's, it's not the track name, it's how okay. they say the Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, which in my worst attempt to do it, it's Magyar Nagadai or something like that. Which if you if you put on Google Translate is the Hungarian. So if you said that into Google Translate, it would come out perfectly, would it? Potentially, potentially. All right, anyway, let 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 me let me call up good old uh, Translate. Go go on. So I said Magyar Nagadai, right? Hungarian Grand Prix. Right, does that come through okay? Yeah. Right. So this is. Oh. So this is what it says. So I said Magia Nagadai, and it's in Google Translate. Magia Nagadai. Oh. So I was close. I was close. <laughs> yeah, very close. Um, a, g- a good effort, Chris. There with uh, with, with that. Um. Just, just a bit of light fun. I want to try and embarrass you a little bit, you know. Um, but yes, um, potentially, you know, another record-breaking weekend for Lewis Hamilton walking away from this track. Um, it would be just um, monumental to have a hundred career wins, um, which has only been well, it's, which has never been done ever before. Um, how amazing would that be to see you know, to reach that that grand old number? Yeah, it would be absolutely incredible um, to see you know someone get to 100 obviously when michael schumacher came back we all hoped that he could get to 100 um obviously he got one podium on his return but never actually got any further victories with the silver arrows so um it will be it will be nice to see him get you know 
that one last Grand Prix victory to make it a hundred. After that, sort of pressure's off. You sort of you've done that. You can just sort of, you know, get 101, 102, 103, keep going, keep going, keep going, and then just set more records. You know, so um, it will be it'll be good to to see him. And obviously, being a British driver as well, it'll, it'll be nice for you know the Brits to look at and yeah and and sort of see you know the fact we have one of the best drivers you know representing our country and uh, well he has eight victories in the hungar ring and uh, he could make that nine but then once he gets to the 100 career wins he's after his eighth title so uh, but of course max verstappen is very much looking to um try and stop that this year claim his first title um he came out and said uh I think it was last week or through, during the week that if he could win 20 titles um, in his career, he would love to do so, obviously, but he said it's not realistic. Um, but Hamilton has proved that kind of anything's realistic and you, you never know with, with drivers starting younger now and, and talent starting to come to come through. Um, I mean, Verstappen's a bit of an exception because the super license rules allowed uh, drivers that were younger than 18 he was I think he was 17 old at the time to compete in his first Grand Prix and get onto the grid but uh, in the future we could we could see these records being broken because there's more emphasis now I think with sort of health and fitness and and um, kind of the professional sport psychology and all, all of these things are kind of m- much more improved now in sort of the last 10 15 years and and people are getting into sports a lot younger. So we could see these victories being broken. I mean, of course, in a, in a long time, but we could see them being broken. But you never oh, know. Definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, Fernando Alonso had his birthday yesterday. Um, mm, turned 40, happy 40 years old. Still feels he's 25. Might be a bit <laughs> excessive, Fernando, but you know, good for you. Um, obviously, 15 years ago was when he won his second championship at the age of 25. So, you know... And he's still very much wanting to race. He's, you know, he, he did very well at Silverstone. He's he's getting points. He's outperforming his, his much younger teammate. Kimi Raikkonen, again, still very much racing. You know, he's, he's either in his 40s or very close to being in his 40s. Um, obviously, Schumacher, he, he raced up until I think he was 43 when he retired for the second time. Um, I mean, and if you look back in the, in the 50s, we had Fangio racing in his 50s. So... It's very doable. It's probably less doable to do it in your fifties these days, just for the amount of you know, <laughs> yeah, G force that they get put through. Um, but you know, Lewis Hamilton's still going. He's now what thirty six. So you know, and he's still got a couple more years in him. So he's looking edging towards that forty mark as well. Yeah, everyone was putting uh, him off as well. Like, oh, he's he's getting old, and then he. He won the he won the Bahrain Grand Prix, and uh, I remember over the team radio at the end of that race. Not bad for an old man, <laughs> being being thirty six. But yeah, it's it's still no age. Of course, he started very young in the sport, and he's been in the, in the sport for sort of seventeen odd years now. But uh, you know, he's he's still still an incredible driver at the peak of his fitness, peak of his career experience, uh, everything going for him. So there's no reason why any of that should stop at any point no it's it's very much you know it's the same goes with footballers you, you stop until you feel that you can't be better than what you have been you know lewis hamilton in the past three or four seasons has been very much in the prime of his racing career you know he's still winning races you know um but you know there will be a time where you know max will then exceed him you know some say he's already doing that 
Um, obviously, you've got Charles Leclerc, you know, coming up through the ranks. George Russell, Lando Norris. These drivers are all going to be at the forefront. Lewis Hamilton, Kimi, Fernando, Seb, they're all going to slowly start fading backwards and backwards and backwards into, um, you know, to the point <laughs> where they're the going to... Re- <laughs> into the point where they're going to be retiring. You know, they're all very much coming up to get getting their... Um, Oh, what, what what's it called? What's it their called? pension, Sorry. Chris. Yeah, <laughs> their, their, their state pension, their state pension, <laughs> the Formula One pension of no monies. Yeah, whatever that is. Um, <laughs> their, their punditry. I don't. Could you? I, I don't know why we're talking about this so much, but um, whilst we're on it, who who could you see would make a good pundit out of all of them? Do you, I can't. Don't see Lewis Hamilton really being a pundit. I think. <laughs> If the fans got their way, the best pundit, the best pundit, the best pundit, would be Kimi Räikkönen. Yeah, really. <laughs> By far, like yes. <laughs> I mean, James Hunt was a great pundit. You mean you wouldn't get any words out of him? That's why he'd be a great pundit. And then when he speaks, he's like, "Yes, I know what I'm doing." <laughs> Kimi would be the greatest. Could you imagine him, David Croft, and Martin Brundle in a commentary box? <laughs> or... <laughs> or just uh, Kimi Raikkonen down at the sky pad and it just stops working and um, it's like yeah if you press that button leave me alone I know what I'm doing uh, I know give me doing. steering wheel <laughs> steering wheel give me steering wheel oh god oh, uh, Kimi, anyway. Kimi would uh, trust me I'd actually whatever channel You'd it was on I that. would pay good money We'd to watch pay Kimi a lot. and listen to Kimi be a commentator <laughs> don't think it's ever going to happen but I would pay a no. lot of money to watch it well Let's 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 hope it happens. Uh, let's let's start a petition um, <laughs> for when it, for when he finishes. Um, anyway, right. Let's let's kind of round round this up now. Um, looking ahead to this this weekend, it's critical, obviously, both for Mercedes and Red Bull. Like every race is this season, um, McLaren could have another strong showing. Lando Norris has been putting in some great performances, as we as we've said here on the podcast. Russell's been getting into Q three very regularly too um, but we've got impressive performances down the, the grid now Ferrari with Leclerc and Sainz sort of starting to find some form as well and Aston Martin hopefully trying to get their, themselves back it back in there and uh, Alonso maybe trying to cap off a celebratory um, birthday weekend with a good result uh, as well so um, let's move on to our thoughts for the race what we think is going to unfold and uh, predictions of, of where we think people are going to finish so um, normal qualifying um, back to normal format for the Hungarian uh, back to a normal format for the Hungarian this weekend um, where can we see everyone finishing up Chris Oh, I mean, it's close because we, we, we've seen the results of first practice, but we've seen how close it is between the two teams. Mm. Um, I don't think there's going to be any shocks for pole. I think it's going to be either a Red Bull or a Mercedes. Mm. I feel Max has got a point to prove um, after <laughs> yeah, everything. Really? So <laughs> I, feel, I feel like Max is going to storm his way to get in that pole position. Mm, brave. Um, in the race, though, uh, again, he's got a point to prove. Yeah, I, I was correct in saying they weren't going to get a podium at Silverstone, <laughs> uh, which was very brave of you to do. It was, and it, it paid off big time. But um, oh, I just think it's Lewis, one of Lewis's strongest tracks. Mercedes mm. have mm. outstrated the Red Bull team a few times around here. Yeah, uh, apart from a couple of seasons, it tends to be quite a strong Mercedes outing. Mm. Um, but it is also very much a, an aerodynamic track that Red Bull suit. Yeah. Um, so I feel 
it's going to be close, but I feel like Max might just pip this one. Oh, okay. Interested. All right. Um, second place on the podium. I mean, t- t- team orders have already been installed at Mercedes, so Lewis, <laughs> Lu- Lewis is going into second. Uh, Verham Bot is back. Oh, I don't know. I don't is it know. back? Is Bot back? No? Is Bot back? Is, is, is Per? Is it Bot? Is it Per? You think Perez? Oh, I don't know. He's kind of been a little bit forgotten again in the last couple of races, isn't he? What are we thinking? It's a tough one, isn't it? Ricardo. Gonna go Danny Rick. Danny Ricardo. What over Lando Norris? I feel like he likes this track, doesn't he? He he does like this track. He said Mm. he's very happy to be here. Yeah. It's a track he has won up before. We saw Mm -hmm. that in 2014. Mm -hmm. So I feel if Danny Rick's gonna finally outdo (laughs) Lando Norris, (laughs) this this is the track for him. Yeah, good shout. All right. Well, if McLaren on the pace, hopefully we could we could see that could see that happening. Um, all right. First, uh, for for poll for me. First of all, hang on. Um, yeah, going for poll. I think for me, um, having I saw a lap comparison between uh, Lewis's lap and uh, Max's lap in first practice. I know that there'll be changes made. Um, but that's kind of influenced my decision a little bit. The Red Bull looks a lot more stable, um, a lot less understeer coming out the corners. And we know that Red Bull is very strong aerodynamically and the chassis um, kind of plays into Red Bull strengths. So I think Max is going to take pole on this occasion. However, I do believe, yes, Max has a point to prove. But as you've already typed on our little prediction document, yes, I do believe Lewis will pick up the victory um, this this weekend and um, pile the pressure on again. Um, it's yeah, it's it's going to be a really really close one, but it's it, one for me like, like you mentioned, it's strategy, but it's also I uh, just think his in his experience around around that circuit and it, it would be. Amazing to cap off all those records, wouldn't it? So um, I'm going for that. It just it just kind of feels right to do that. Um, and who's getting, you know, the Olympics are on. Who's getting the bronze medal for Hungary? <laughs> the bronze medal? I haven't said silver yet. Oh, that's true. I think we, we know where you go going for silver, though. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, going for Max Verstappen. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Um, unless he, you know has a has another coming together we never know um, or lewis could have come together you know, either or it could all it could all happen the, the the rundown into turn one is is normally quite chaotic at the hungaring um as, as we've seen in the past um taking the third step of the podium is a real tricky one but i'm gonna say mm, i mean bottas was quick um I'm gonna say Lando Norris just because he's been doing so. So whichever good way, so, I mean, Sarah's gonna be quite happy with us because we're both yeah, predicting, you know, McLaren yep. on the former podium. McLaren superfan guest on on this podcast. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, and go back and listen to the the episodes um, of um, Sarah um, telling us about what it's like to be a McLaren superfan, be invited to all the events at the Technology Center, and and following them around the world. Uh, it's a great episode, actually, a bit of an insight in, into a a real fan that takes things very seriously and goes to a lot of races um so yeah we we, we we're a big believer in mclaren here on the podcast as well they've been uh, putting in some great performances this season and, and no no better of course norris the only person to score points in every race so showing their reliability as a team which was non-existent a few years ago with the honda power unit 
they're, they're, they're definitely out of the GP2 engine phase. <laughs> yeah, which is it's mad to think that Alonso was only saying that a few years ago. Uh, right, that's our predictions for the Hungarian race. It proves to be an exciting and thrilling one before we reach the uh, main summer break and then return for Belgium. We'll be doing a couple of special episodes and a bit of a mid-season review here on the podcast whilst we are in that little break. Stay tuned for episodes to come. We're also going to be speaking to um, legendary commentator and analyst in Formula One, uh, Ben Edwards as well, about his career and how he's hung up the mic to focus on some other things a little bit more. And we're going to be asking about some of his favourite moments, commentating for the BBC, Channel 4, and um, when he was involved in that A1GP series, um, which was quite popular back in the day too. And um, just getting his thoughts on the current state of Formula One. It'd be really exciting to have him on the podcast and chat all about that. Um, do take care. Hope you enjoy the race this weekend and if you're listening in the future I hope it was a good one and you enjoyed it um, we'll be back here next time on Around the Outside stay peeled for more episodes coming your way it's been Jake Peach here and Chris Moss take care and we'll see you soon mm-hmm.